ESPN Radio. about winning. I've never seen the Laker team lose all these close games in the fourth quarter. We, we couldn't win. They're an atrocity, <laughs> and it starts from the top down. It starts from Jeannie Buss allowing Linda Rambis to have power. It goes from there and disintegrates down to Rob Palenka. I know we have to talk about them because it's LeBron James. We shouldn't be talking about no, them. No, at all. I've been trying to tell you guys, when somebody shows you who they are, believe them. Believe them. ESPN Radio. Frank Vogel may no longer be the coach of the Los Angeles Lakers, but he's certainly taking his fair share of heat on the way out. This is ESPN Radio. Amber Wilson and Harry Douglas taking you up until 7 p.m. Eastern. You're listening to us on the ESPN app on Sirius XM Channel 80 and on ESPN Plus. ESPN Radio is presented to you by Progressive Insurance. You can tweet to us at AmberW790 at HDouglas83. And you can also always join the conversation on the Canty call-in line at 888-SAY-ESPN. That is 888-729-3776. So, Harry, uh, Frank Vogel, he's out. But, man, the headlines aren't when it comes to taking aim at him. And apparently the his uh, former uh, players are not out on taking aim at him either. Russell Westbrook spoke to the media. He spoke about his relationship with Frank Vogel. This is Straight Talk. It's time for Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. And Russ said, I think it's unfortunate, to be honest, because I've never had an issue with any of my coaches before. He goes on to explain that it seemed apparently him and Frank Vogel did, in fact, have issues with one another. Here's Russ on his relationship with Vogel. I'm not sure what his issue was with me, or I'm not sure why, but um, I can't really give you an answer why things we never really connected. Maybe, you know. Um, that's something that he has to answer, but I never, you know, from the get-go was feeling like I was having to, like, try to prove myself to him and my capabilities and what I've been able to do for this game. And it's unfortunate, but it's really not kind of out of my hands. What does that sound like to you, Harry Douglas? You uh, you didn't play basketball, but you were a professional athlete because to me, I'm getting the impression from Russ there that he didn't like to have to prove himself in any way to anybody. And maybe he expected Frank Vogel to just give him a certain amount of deference that he didn't get coming into that organization. Amber, first and foremost, it tells us all that Frank Vogel and Russell uh, Westbrook didn't see eye to eye from the, from the start, from the moment that he got there. And that's the thing that's sad about this is that you hear Russ talk. Now, I understand this is just one side of the story. We haven't had a chance to hear Frank Vogel and his side of the story yet. But from what I'm hearing from Russell Westbrook, it seemed like this thing was deemed from the start uh, that he had to prove himself to Frank Vogel, which I don't understand why he had to do that. Now, when it came to certain moments in the game, I understand that part of it. Late in games, I need you to show me that you can be a guy that can that can get us over the hump and get us wins and and do things that – I know you're accustomed doing, but in crunch time when I need you to do it the most, particularly the fourth quarter late in games. Now, as far as Russ trying to show Frank Vogel what he's made of and what he can do uh, from starting in the lineup as a player, he should have already known that. And once again, I will reiterate, we're only getting one side of this story because we have not heard from Frank Vogel. But 
just hearing him talk, it, it, it's evident that Russell Westbrook and Frank Vogel did not have a loving relationship. You know, they was just dealing with one another as a head coach and as a player, player to head coach. And it's no wonders that the Los Angeles Lakers struggled this year because you hear these riffraffs. And listen, Russell Westbrook could have took the high road when, when being asked certain things, but he didn't. You can easily tell that he's had a lot on his chest and a lot of things that he wanted to get off and a lot of frustrations between the relationship and him and Frank Vogel. So he shied away, did not shy away from it and let it rip. Here's the thing with this, though, that that I guess concerns me to some extent is, is this the reality of what was happening behind the scenes with the Lakers, where the problem was Frank Vogel not getting along with the players and not handling guys with personalities like Russell Westbrook properly? Or is this just let's pile on Frank Vogel on the way out? And Russell Westbrook maybe sees an opportunity to do that because, frankly, Russell Westbrook was getting all the heat, I think, at times unfairly down the stretch of the regular season where everybody was acting like Russ was the big problem. And now Russ is turning around and acting like Vogel was the big problem problem. And Mm -hmm. frankly, Harry, I don't know if either of them were the big problem. I'm not sure a new coach would have made much of a difference to this situation. Yes, I'm sure it would have been nice if Vogel got along better with Russell Westbrook. I'm not saying that that was invented, but Russell Westbrook seems like a dude to me who's such a vet in the league that how much does the coaching really matter? You know, you need the guy to go out there and game plan fine, but do you need the guy to actually really get along with you and coddle you and bring you along? And I mean, what are you really developing in Russell Westbrook at this point? This is the oldest team in the NBA. I mean, I don't know if Vogel's relationship with the players, frankly, from that perspective, or it is really as important as just the roster construction generally. I think the real problem here with Russ is that, hey, his game doesn't age so well. Maybe that's the issue that he's on the oldest team in the NBA, and that's the issue, and that nobody could stay on the court. And that's also been a huge issue. I'm not sure any of that, though, comes back to the relationship between Vogel and Russell Westbrook. Well, I'll say this. I did believe, or I do believe, that Russell Westbrook, being an older player and a veteran in the NBA, uh, sometimes when, when you're at that caliber and at that, that spot in your career, you tend to be a little bullheaded and you're stuck in your ways. And I, I did felt like I did feel, feel like during that season that Russ could have opened up a little bit more and been more open to understanding what was best for the team. Versus just saying, okay, I'm Russell Westbrook. This is what I do. Because it was conflict because you have a LeBron James who was ball dominant and basically a point forward and controls things uh, with his passing ability, the way he dribbles and scores and can just do everything on the basketball court. Now that's taking the basketball out of Russell Westbrook's hand. So now he has to play a different role than what he's accustomed to. But at the same time, you have to be willing to understand that and self-reflect and look in the mirror and say, hey, you know what? This is different than any other situation I've been through in my career, right? LeBron is the most, probably the most lethal with the basketball. They know probably is the most lethal with the basketball in his hands on our team. Let me figure out how my game translate uh, to LeBron being the point forward versus just this is who I am. I'm Russell Westbrook and this is my game. See, sometimes in life we have to adapt, but see, we have to understand and realize we have to adapt for us to really get to that point. I don't think Russ did a great job of that. 
It, it does. I understand that it's on Vogel, of course, to some extent to, to figure those things out, how to utilize them properly, how to get them used to their new roles or a diminishing role or taking a backseat to another player where maybe you otherwise wouldn't have to do that. And I understand it's also in part Vogel's job to figure out how to maybe make Russ's game not a, you know, age more gracefully, so to speak, not highlight sort of the shortcomings as he is getting a bit older here. Like there are things I'm assuming that Frank Vogel could have done, I guess, a little bit in terms of handling Russell Westbrook. I just feel like it seems a little overstated at this point from somebody who's such a vet in the league to kind of pile on his fired coach, where frankly, again, I'm just not sure that is really what is the main problem here. I'm not sure it was really Frank Vogel's coaching or even his relationship with Russell Westbrook. But I guess Westbrook feels like his relationship with Vogel was not a good one. He spoke more about him not getting a fair shake with this team so when I first got here um and just being you know um a person that uh, unfortunately that people create narratives of me and who I am um and what I do and what I believe in that are you know just not true um I'm always having to like prove myself again in the year after year after year which is to me just unfair and there's really no reason I have to do that um so when I first got here um, I just felt that I never was given a fair chance um, just to be who I needed to be to be able to help this team. I did say off the top that I do think that there was a lot of piling on Russell Westbrook, especially towards the end of the regular season, where people were acting like he was the main problem. And absent him, it wouldn't be such a problem. And I think some of that comes from that gaudy contract. Uh, in addition to him not uh, having the production at times that we necessarily expected from Russ, he actually did okay down the stretch, I think, more than he gets credit for. But it feels like to me that Russell Westbrook continues to say, Harry, that he had to prove himself. And that seems to be really what is rubbing him the wrong way. And he didn't like, I guess, that when he came into the Lakers, Vogel didn't sort of already have that respect for him. It seems like Vogel, I guess, wanted Russell Westbrook to prove himself as part of that organization and for the highest paid player on that team uh, that wasn't something that he felt like he should have to do well I'll say this the first the, the most important thing you have to do as a head coach on the team especially when you're getting new players and if you're coming in as a new head coach guys have to understand their roles roles have to be defined right and I think that was part of the problem too no, no one understood their role but LeBron and AD wasn't out there so everyone else down didn't understand their role on the basketball team. Those things have to be defined. And I'll go back to this. When the Oklahoma City Thunder were up against – they were up against the Warriors 3-1 in that series, right? And Charles Barkley talked about this on numerous of occasions. Russell Westbrook not understanding that KD is the most lethal offensive weapon on that team and just going down speed ball and jacking up shots and didn't help the calls uh, or, or them winning that series. Things like that come to mind when I see a Russell Westbrook not working in, in, in L.A., right? Because it shows me that he has to learn to adapt, and sometimes we have to defer, right? Dwayne Wade did it in Miami with LeBron. What happened? They won a championship, right? When LeBron came uh, to L.A. in his second year, A.D. came, he was full-fledged. LeBron deferred a tiny bit. What happened? They won a championship because AD took over in the bubble during that playoff series and throughout that throughout the playoffs, right? So sometimes we have to 
get out of self mode and get in team mode so the team can have better success. I, I think that, of course, uh, understanding roles can be really difficult when you are learning to play with the greatness of players like LeBron James. But I also think that at this point in LeBron's career, those roles were frankly supposed to be defined a little bit differently. Like, I do think AD was supposed to be the tra- to transition to the number one. He just couldn't be because he's not on the court. So LeBron had to shoulder everything. And I do think actually LeBron expected Russ to have the ball in his hands a lot, but it just didn't work, I guess, with the chemistry. And he said LeBron said in part because those three the big three so to speak didn't get to play many games with each other so chemistry was a problem which fine it's a fine excuse for things except for really then that comes down to injuries and durability and some of those problems that frankly have nothing to do with Russell Westbrook or his relationship with Frank Vogel we will continue this Lakers conversation in just a few seconds you are listening to Amber Wilson and Harry Douglas here on ESPN radio that was straight talk brought to you by straight talk wireless no No contract, no compromise. I'm getting tired of talking about the Lakers, okay? They're 18 games under 500. Forget the Lakers. This might be the most disappointing team in the history of the league. There is so much blame. There's blame everywhere. Vogel's going to take the fall. What's your reaction to to hearing that? Uh, My reaction is uh, I haven't been told celebrate what these young guys did, getting back in this game, getting a W, and uh, we'll deal with tomorrow tomorrow. So there is so much blame and there is blame everywhere. And Russell Westbrook is very publicly blaming Frank Vogel, at least in part for the issues with the Los Angeles Lakers, saying that he doesn't understand what the issue was between them, but that his former coach seemed to have some sort of issue with him. Frank is in New York. You can always give us a call at 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. Frank has given us a call. Frank, what is your take on this situation with Russell Westbrook? Well, I, I really think Westbrook has to look in the mirror. I mean, he said that he he didn't feel like he had to prove himself. Well, professional athletes have to prove themselves year in and year out. I, well, the players play. Vogel can do so much. The only guy that gets a free pass is Anthony Davis, who just was injured all year. LeBron has to take the blame here, plus Westbrook. Westbrook, I can't believe he's crying like he did a couple of weeks ago when some announcer asked him a question and he went off on a tangent. Professional athletes take responsibility, and he has not won a blessed thing. I love the fact that the the commentator before said that he never wanted to kind of take a second fiddle. If he did, he might have won that championship a couple of years ago. So I really blame the players here, not Frank Vogel at all. I, I do think that Russ has been getting a lot of heat this season. Some of it's deserved. Some of it, frankly, I think was a, was a little overdone, Harry, because I think that there was problems far beyond Russell Westbrook. And I think sometimes people are pretending, frankly, like he was even worse than he was. And I think some of that has to do with that contract, not necessarily actually um, his play out there. But I, Russell Westbrook's always had the reputation that he doesn't want to take a step back or, you know, take the back seat. And that's always stuck with him throughout his career. And now we're at a place where the chemistry wasn't quite right in LA. So there's going to be a lot of finger pointing. And so Russ is then going to point the point, the finger elsewhere. And it feels like to me that, you know, he's doing that with Frank Vogel. Like it's, you know, like ever, like it's despite the Lakers are the Spider-Man theme or meme where everyone's just pointing fingers at everybody else. That's the Los Angeles Lakers. (laughs) But I'll tell you, it's funny. Stephen A said something on first take this morning. I thought it was very, very uh, on point is that the, these guys played 21 games together, right? I think they went 11 and 10 or 10 and 11. 
one of the two. And if they just would have had a better record, they would have been in the playoffs, or at least to play in, right? But you can't keep saying that, hey, we didn't have that much time together chemistry, because when they did play together, they went 11 and 10. You well, had 21 games. You could have been better. Yeah, but I mean, 21, I guess the point is just 21 games is such a small sample size. And, you know, I mean, the real point is the fact that, yes, they didn't play the games together. A small together sample because, size for elite talent, though. Well, Those but, are three they, guys. That, that's elite talent. They didn't play the games together because they weren't available. Like, the problem is the availability. That's what I feel like the real problem is here. The, yes, there's some ugliness to Russell Westbrook's contract. There are some issues with the supporting cast around them. The main issue, though, is this would be a different conversation between us if Anthony Davis was healthy night in and night out and LeBron was healthy night in and night out. Yes. And that's not going to happen when, you know, Anthony Davis has had durability issues his entire career and when LeBron is now 37 years old. I mean, it's just not reasonable to expect LeBron to play 82 games it ain't happening and it's not reasonable to expect him to go out there and have to put up 30 every single night and also play you know more than 60 yeah. games in a season it's yeah, just and, not and, how and it, it works. shouldn't happen him playing that much shouldn't happen because of the age that he is and what he has done in this league over periods of time now we're talking about a guy who each year besides what this year and his first year in um his first year in LA didn't make the playoffs right this guy's been to the playoffs just about every year he's been in the league. And not just the playoffs, but deep in the playoffs. So if, if you put all those playoff series together, I'm pretty sure it extends another season, right, that he's putting on his body. So LeBron, at the age that he is right now, he should not be carrying the load for the Los Angeles Lakers. They need Anthony Davis because it looks like those, those three guys are going to be back together next year. But – they need to figure it out, define the roles. It's very, very important. I know it's tough, especially when you have strong personalities, but coaches have to define roles. You look at every team that's great across the board, no matter the sport, coaches define roles and people understand what their role is. Teams where people don't know what the role is, what they're supposed to do, some, some people's role is to go in and just foul people. Some person's role may be just to go play defense and take charges and create chaos. Look at Patrick Beverly. He understands his role. His role is to get under people's skin and play hella defense. That's his role. He understands it. But coaches have to help implement that. And I'm going to put some of that on LeBron, too, because I think he is uh, powerful enough to help define those roles as well because his, high, his IQ is so high. Antoine is in Cleveland. Antoine gave us a call at Triple Eight Say ESPN. Antoine, who is to blame for this mess in Los Angeles? Ooh, first and foremost, I'm in Dayton, Ohio. I have to correct that. I'm sorry. Oh, um, I, got, I have the but, I have wrong information, but uh, we got a, we got the state right, right? Same state. It's Same all good. Yeah, it's all good. Yep, still <laughs> Ohio, birthplace of aviation. Yes, but who's to blame for it? It's more than one part. First of all, the chosen one chose Russell Westbrook to come there, and he thought he was going, as in LeBron, thought he was going to be able to sit back, let Russell Westbrook triple-double, Anthony Davis double-double, and LeBron eased his way into the playoffs. With Anthony Davis' injury, that messed everything up. Like you all said, Russell, West, Russell Westbrook now has to be himself times 10. LeBron James has to be himself times 10, and they're still losing because, like you said, Russell Westbrook's game didn't age well, and he's getting the blame in L.A. 
I do think that the biggest problem here is the availability of Anthony Davis. Because, Harry, I, although you're saying the roles have to be defined, you can't define the roles unless these guys are on the court. And to that caller's point, I mean, without Anthony, if Anthony Davis had been out there, it would have looked very different. And the roles would have looked very different. So but, it's but hard see, he, to see, have the conversation a, about roles when he ain't out there. But it changes, though. Like, when you know Anthony Davis is not going to be out there, now the roles change. Right. It's, it's, it's not I'm not saying that the roles were uh, they're going to stay once certain things happen to your team. Now, roles have to be redefined. It happens on teams like when you have an injury in football. Hey, listen, um, I know you're used to being a receiver that comes in sporadically, but now you have to be a starting X. We're not asking you to keep the same pace as our starting X receiver, but we need you to have that production and come up and be and be a, 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 a vital piece for us. See, roles change. Especially throughout the season when people get injured, that's that's just how that's, that's sports. Well, we will be talking plenty about the Los Angeles Lakers. Harry and I are taking you up until 7 p.m. Eastern. Don't worry. We have not forgotten that there are, in fact, NBA games tonight to unpack. We'll be doing plenty of that as well. But coming up next, we transition to the NFL draft. How high could we see Malik Willis go? Our next guest's answer might surprise you. This is ESPN Radio with Amber Wilson and Harry Douglas. ESPN Radio. Amber Wilson and Harry Douglas hanging out with you here on ESPN Radio. You can tweet to us at Amber W790 at HDouglas83. So we have talked lots of Los Angeles Lakers drama, and I'm sure we will continue to do so throughout today's show. But we're going to take a hiatus right now, talk about something that Harry loves to talk about because you've been doing all the studying for the NFL draft. Harry Douglas on his IG is always watching the game tape on all of these guys uh, coming out in this year's draft because you're going to be on uh, ESPN's draft coverage, right? Live from Las Vegas. Harry Douglas unleashed in Las Vegas. But right now, we're going to bring in Jordan Reed to help us unpack some of this draft coverage as well, ESPN NFL draft analyst. And Jordan, let's start with the first pick because Aiden Hutchinson going to the Jags is on the top of, of most mock drafts. Trayvon Walker is starting to get some consideration in some of these mocks. Is there anybody who you think is going to surprise us? I mean, is it Hutchinson for sure, or do you think that this could go a different direction with that number one? Well, and I think that's the tricky part about this year's draft class. You don't really know who is going to be that number one overall player, and that's what makes this draft class so different from some of the guys or some of the past draft classes that we have seen. We knew a quarterback was going to go at the top over the past three or four so or so draft classes, but this one, I think we're going to get a defensive lineman at the top, whether it's Aiden Hudson or Trayvon Walker. I think it's between those two right now. I don't think the Jaguars are going to go offensive tackle just because of what they did in the offseason, bringing Cam Robinson back, and then also some of the pieces that they already have there and some additions that they made along the offensive line. So I think it's between Aiden Hutchinson and Trayvon Walker at the top. Now, I want to talk to you about some of these cornerbacks. Now, you have Sauce Gardner from Cincinnati, Stingley Jr., LSU, Andrew Booth Jr. I just watched his film today. Um, you have McDuffie from um, Washington, and then you have Elam from Florida. I love all five of these guys. Now, when you look at this group that I just named, who will be the most successful, who will be the biggest disappointment, and who will surprise everyone out of those out of those five? Well, it's tough to say without knowing the landing spot, but my personal favorite is Derek Stingley, the Derek Stingley Jr., excuse me, just based on what he put on film in 2019. 
And, yes, he was banged up the, the past few seasons, missed 13 games over the past two years. But I just think with how magical he was in 2019, I still think he can go back to being that type of player. So I like Stingley the most. Sauce is really good. I mean, he has a very rare resume, only giving up 60 yards total in 14 games, never surrendering a touchdown during his career. So he has all the potential on the upside that you want there. I think McDuffie's really interesting. There's some teams that have him graded more so as a slot as opposed to an outside guy because of the arm length and them being a little bit undersized. But overall, I think in the first round, it's a very deep group. So if, if you – of those five guys, who will surprise the most people? I would say Andrew Boo Jr., just because I like him a lot. I love his athleticism. And he's the one that we really haven't seen this offseason just because he just had the core muscle surgery about two weeks ago for the injury that he was having there. And then also he wasn't able to participate in the combine because he strained his hamstring that Monday leading up to the drive. So we don't have any testing numbers on him, and we just have to go off of the, the game tape, which I think is really, really good. Um, it was spotty in some games. I know NC State, he did struggle a little bit in that game, but the bowl game, I thought he finished up the season really good. And then, and then against South Carolina, he had two interceptions in the rivalry game. So I think Booth Jr. is one that could surprise a lot of people. And I'll tell you what's unique about that game you just mentioned with Andrew Booth Jr. because I watched it this morning. And I love the fact that he'll stick his nose in there and tackle. He could tackle in space one-on-one. At the end of that game, NC State won it on a touchdown, but the quarterback, Leary, tried to go to the left on a double move to Emeka Mezzi, and Andrew Booth Jr. played the double move as perfectly as a corner could play it, and for some odd reason, he went to the other side and threw a touchdown, but it's crazy how things work, but I love the skill set of the young man. He's going to be very promising in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, I'm right there with you. I think just the, the competitive drive that he has, he hates giving up completions. You see that on tape. And I think that type of competitive fire really translates over to the next level. It's crazy because I also spent my morning watching tape on Andrew Booth <laughs> Jr. I just I didn't know you were doing the same thing, Harry. All right, Jordan Reed joining us, ESPN's NFL draft analyst. You can follow him on Twitter at Jordan underscore Reed. He just released a seven-round mock draft that came out yesterday. And, Jordan, you have Malik Willis going number two to the Detroit Lions much, much sooner than we've seen a lot of quarterbacks go in a lot of mocks. Why, Willis, in terms of the first QB off your board, and do you think it's realistic that a quarterback could go that high? Yeah, I think so. And, you know, it takes a little bit of risk to predict a quarterback this high, but I just think reading some of the team leads from Detroit and then just what their current quarterback situation is with Jared Goff, we saw the Rams move on from him, and then just get a quarterback that you can win because of. And I don't think Jared Goff is that. I don't know if he's ever going to be that. In his career, he definitely is a quarterback that you can win with. He went to a Super Bowl with the L.A. Rams. But we saw once they got that quarterback that you can win because of, we saw the next level that they were able to unlock. And I think Malik Willis can be that quarterback that you can win because of on the next level just because of the mobility and the upside. But he is very raw. But the great thing about Detroit is they have that bridge gap option already in front of him. They have Jared Goff under contract for two more years. And nothing matters in a rebuild until you get that quarterback spot solidified. So, it is a bit of a risk. It will be very risky. But I like Malik Willis' fit in Detroit. I got to ask you this about the Detroit Lions. Why not trade back at two? Because you have Jared Goff there, right? And wait for the draft class that's coming out in 2023 because you have a C.J. Stroud, a Bryce Young, a Sam Hartman, an Anthony Richardson, a Will Rogers. You have all these guys coming out. Phil Jukovic, uh from Boston College. 
you have a ton of quarterbacks that are eligible to come out. Why not trade back, get more picks, develop things around you? Because they need a lot in Detroit. And then get your quarterback in next year's draft. Because they're probably going to be picking in top 10 again. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, that's the tricky part about evaluating quarterbacks just because we could have said the same thing going into this year with Spencer Rattler and Sam Howell and some of these other guys. Phil Jacoby, another one that you talked about from Boston College. But you never know if these guys are going to take the next step in their development. And I think you can't get too caught up in the future, especially when you're talking about quarterback. And if there is one that you love, go ahead and take them. Just because there's no guarantee that the Lions are going to be in position to take a C.J. Stroud or a Bryce Young. And let's say a Phil Jacoby or a Will Levis from Penn State, or excuse me, from Kentucky that's getting a lot of love right now, they may not even take the next step of their development and they may not even declare next year. So I think you just can't get caught up in playing the futures game when there's a quarterback for you to take right now, especially if you like that guy. Uh, ESPN NFL draft analyst Jordan Reed joining Amber Wilson and Harry Douglas here on ESPN radio. So Harry just mentioned uh, the Lions may be trading back. I know this is impossible to predict in terms of trades, Jordan, but do you think that we're going to see a lot of trading uh, out of those first 10 picks in this year's draft? Yeah, I think so, just because of how unpredictable this draft class is. And that's what happens when you don't have a quarterback or a consensus quarterback at the top. So I think we're going to see a lot of trades here and there where there's teams trying to trade up to get a Kenny Pickett or a Malik Willis or even a Desmond Ritter who's getting a lot of love right now or trying to trade back to accumulate some draft capital for next year when there's expected to be a little bit more high-end talent at the top of the 2023 draft. Last one we got for you. Jordan Reed is a GM of a team right now. You had to take one wide receiver to change your franchise. Who was that wide receiver and why? Oh, man, that's a good question. Um, I love Garrett Wilson of Ohio State. I think he reminds me a lot of Stephon Diggs when he was coming out of Maryland. Just the body control that he had, the strong hand, the play above the rim, and how precise and deep that he is, the runner, he's a technician. I just love everything about him. Jordan Reed, ESPN NFL draft analyst. Jordan, thanks so much for giving us some of your time. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Coming up next, are any of these quarterbacks worth a top 10 draft pick this year? Harry Douglas, our also draft expert here at ESPN, he's going to tell you. He's been watching all sorts of film. I mean, not as much film as I have been, but all sorts of film every day this Harry Douglas. You're listening to ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio. Russia media reported last month that Brittany Griner's detention has been extended until at least May 19th. A terribly scary situation, Harry Douglas. Kathy Engelbert, the commissioner for the WNBA, she spoke on the issue recently. She revealed that they are trying to do everything to help the situation that's within the WNBA's powers. She said, quote, certainly we're trying everything we can, every angle, working with her legal representation, her agent, elected leaders, the administration, just everybody in our ecosystem to try to find ways to get her home safely and as quickly as we can. We know what the situation is with Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And I think everybody is uh, very, very fearful for what kind of conditions Brittany Kreider could or could not be facing right now during her detention in Russia. Holly Rowe, ESPN's WNBA reporter at the WNBA draft, gave an update on the Brittany Griner situation. As has been- 
been widely reported Brittany Griner currently detained in Russia while she waits resolution of a drug case. And we want to make sure that she knows and her friends and family know that she is front of mind tonight during the WNBA draft. Those close to the situation tell me that Brittany is safe and healthy, that her representative in Russia is able to see her twice per week. She's able to receive letter and correspondence. So there are some hopeful things in Brittany's situation. We all want a quick resolution to this, but there is a basketball discussion to be had as well. And the WNBA and the Phoenix Mercury are in discussions. She will not be suspended this year. She will receive her full pay, and they are hoping for a possibility of giving them some roster relief for the Brittany Griner situation. I mean, the detention of any foreign national is obviously an incredibly scary one. She was originally reportedly denied consular access. You heard there from Holly Rowe that apparently now she does have it, um, and apparently she is healthy. But, Harry, just a a terrifying situation continues to unfold here with Brittany Griner, and frankly, we don't have many answers. Yeah, I think the worst place right now for her to even be detained is in Russia. Um, But my prayers out to Brittany Griner, her family, uh, and whatnot, but I, I don't think just the WNBA needs to try to do something about this. I think a lot of other people should be trying to do something about this too. That's the part I think that's upsetting me more than anything. Well, I do know that there, I know the the administration, Biden administration, they've all spoken on it. I, I think that there is some work being done. I think it's a really delicate situation because, of course, the situation right now uh, with Russia and Ukraine, and it's hard to know, you know, what's true and what's not that's out there. And there's very little information and there's very little indication of when Brittany Griner would be released. Uh, and, and it looks like it's not going to be in the next couple of weeks that that much, it seems like. Like we know. ESPN Radio. Amber Wilson and Harry Douglas hanging out with you here on ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio is presented to you by Progressive Insurance. Now, I've mentioned, if you've been listening to us, the Harry Douglas, he's our resident draft expert here on the, I don't, I'm just naming this the Amber and Harry show, uh, the unnamed, (laughs) the unnamed show right now. Uh, And so because of that, I did want to get your thoughts here on what Harry Douglas would do with his mock draft. If in fact, we were to post his mock draft on the .com, because there's a lot of conflicting information with these mocks when it comes to the quarterbacks. You heard us just speak to Jordan Reed. If you were listening, you can always check out the podcast if you missed missed it. He's at one of our NFL draft experts and he had Malik Willis in his latest draft going second to the Detroit Lions, but Harry and a lot of Mel's mocks and, and, and McShay's mocks. I mean, they didn't have a quarterback going until 20th in some of these mocked drafts. Now the Atlanta Falcons, you're one of your old, one of your old teams. Uh, yep. You're there in Atlanta, still very plugged into that organization. They're sitting at eighth in this draft. The Falcons have some question marks at that quarterback position. Are they one of those teams in the top 10 that you could see going that direction? Would you have them drafting a quarterback in your mock? Well, I don't know what they're going to do, but if it was my decision, uh, I wouldn't because I wouldn't take a quarterback in this draft in the top 10 simply because you look at a guy like uh, Malik Willis. I think he's an extreme talent, and he does some some decent things on the football field. I say some great things on the football field. He's a dual threat. You look at the athleticism. But I also do see some things that he has to work on. Um, deciphering coverage probably a little bit better. Understanding that, and this is a problem Trey Lance had last year. Understanding that every ball can't be thrown at a certain speed, right? The different touches that you have to put on the football. But I love his arm talent. Um, I love what he can present. 
I would like for him to take what the defense gives him a little bit more. Not saying you see it here and there, but be more consistent in doing so because I think that's a, a young quarterback's best friend, right? You never get tired. I had this whole saying, you never get tired of putting money in the bank, making deposits. That's one of the things that Tom Brady has done so well throughout his career. And even Teddy Bridgewater is, hey, when the check down is there, take it. Just take what the defense gives you. And some of his interceptions actually has come from Malik Willis, that is, trying to make plays. And I understand what he's trying to do. And he's out there. He's the best person on his team. And he just wants to make a play uh, for, for his team to be able to win. Uh, but I wouldn't take a guy in my top ten. When you look at Kenny Pickett, I think a lot of people have him slotted to go six uh, to the Carolina Panthers. And a lot of that is more so due, I, I think, to Matt Rule being on the hot seat, a guy who has to win now. And the decisions that they made at the quarterback position, they got rid of Teddy Bridgewater, right? They went and got Sam Darnold, a guy who's seen ghosts at some point. Un- unbelievable uh, that he would even say that out loud. It, that didn't work out, right? They picked up his option. Then they bring in Cam Newton. That didn't work out. So right now in Carolina, when it comes to the quarterback position, that's a position that hasn't been, uh, I'll say, valued uh, by the, I'll say, upper management and the head coach as a strong point for them. So they're missing something there. But I do like Kenny Pickett, though, as a guy. Anytime you can – you mentioned a damn Marino, right, a Hall of Famer, and Kenny Pickett has surpassed him um, at, at, at Pitt. I think that's good. I think he's a guy who benefited from being in college an extra season. But you have the hand size – um, he's not going to be able to hold that ball in that pocket. We're still talking about NFL. Kenny Pickett's hand size. Yeah, Kenny I mean, Pickett, though, seems like the evaluation leading up to this draft when we were not quite as close to it, I think for a while there was, oh, Kenny Pickett's the guy. He'll be the first quarterback off the board because he's the most now ready to play. Mm-hmm. And to your point, a team like Carolina needs a quarterback because of that situation with Rule who can come in and try to save his job. I'm not sure any of these guys are going to be up for that task because of how they're being evaluated. But Kenny Pickett out of this group, I was hearing, was the most now ready in terms of starting in the NFL. Whereas Malik Willis has the talent and has the arm, but doesn't necessarily have the understanding, like you said, Mm -hmm. of the defense and the scheming to come in and start in the NFL right away and be as successful, but his ceiling might be higher. So that was kind of the evaluation I was hearing. And then I feel like as we've led up to the draft here, Malik Willis gets all the attention. He's he's the hot candidate in terms of these quarterbacks in this upcoming draft. I'm not taking none in my top 10 because, listen, you, you, you heard the names that I mentioned coming out in 2023. It's just so many quarterbacks that, that are eligible to come out and could come out that uh-uh, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not risking that. If I, if I have that pick and it's a quarterback I could possibly take there, uh, I, I'm, I'm trading out. I'm trading back, getting more picks and building my roster around and, and, and banking on getting quarterbacks at a different time. I mean, when you're drafting in the top 10 and you draft a quarterback, even in a good quarterback draft class, you've got like a 50% chance of it working out, right? Especially if you're drafting. Yeah. I think it's like 50% if you're drafting in that top three, if you're drafting a quarterback. And those are the quarterbacks that everybody wants Frank. and everybody has Look at the Sam, top. Look at Sam Fran right now. Right. And, and those guys are the ones that everybody has at the top of their draft board. And, and this year, like, n- apparently nobody has these guys at the top of their draft board. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out because the need is certainly still there for several of these teams in the top 10, even if the talent is purportedly not there, at least for right now. Coming up next, we transition back to the NBA. It is a big night in the NBA. Are the Nets ready to make a postseason run starting tonight? 